Welcome to the Hop Edition with Tricky and Chris. Um, this is our podcast about beer and home brewing, and we're going to talk about beer and home brewing and everything that goes in it. Second time that we've had an attempt at pulling this one off. Um, we're both extremely busy people. Uh, I've got a bit more time on my hands now. My daughter's a little bit older. Uh, Tricky has got a little bit more time on his hand now that he's a part-time slacker. And uh, aside from that, we're gonna we're gonna get straight into it with a kind of a soft intro kind of. This is what we are. This is what we're about. We're gonna talk about certain things, and then we're just gonna go with it. But over to you, Trick. Yeah, so uh, it's a new homebrewing podcast. We're going to be on this second pilot episode, although it's the first pilot episode for anyone listening because we never actually put out the first pilot. Uh, We're going to be talking about our top tips for brewing or homebrewing well. What's uh, what's important and um, what should you focus on as a homebrewer, whether you're just starting out or whether you are somebody who's been doing it for a little while, really. I mean, both of us have been homebrewing for quite some time now, so I guess we should tell you a little bit about uh, our background in that respect. So, yeah, brewing experience. Uh, I don't, I'm don't. not actually sure how many years I have been doing it now, for, but it's a, it's a fair few. Um, definitely uh, must be over five or six years now, but I think both of us started out with kits and... Um, yeah, I did that for a couple of years myself, sort of on and off, not really that regularly. And then after wandering around a few homebrewing websites, looking at kit reviews and deciding what I wanted to do next, I came across uh, a few threads on doing simple all-grain brewing on a stovetop, one-gallon batches, read through one of the guides, thought that looks easier than I expected it to be, and gave it a crack and... The rest is history, really. So moving on from there, um, I've gone through quite a few different stages of the brewing, um, all grain. And basically at the moment, I'm now essentially using a sort of cobbled together free vessel system, uh, SS Brewtech uh, kettle, homemade mash tun, and another uh, kettle that I bought before that I'm now using as an HLT, a couple of fermenters, far too many fridges in the shed and uh yeah and that's it some of you may also know me from uh, a youtube channel dudes brews so i also do that in my spare time so that's probably enough about me for now so over to you chris right um i started uh because of somebody that i worked with who basically turned around to me and said um have you tried brewing your own beer because i'm a chemist uh, I'm actually a, a biochemist toxicologist. That was my degree. But basically, I'm a chemist. And he turned around to me and said, give it a go. So I basically went to his house and stole his kit that he'd won on a raffle. Um, and then brought it home and did the first one, which was a London Pride. It was one of the Millennium kits. And it turned out stunning. I mean, it was great. And to put this into perspective... For 18 months prior to me brewing that beer, I'd not had a drop of alcohol. Like, not a drop. I'd not drunk a beer. I'd not had any whiskey, no wine, no champagne, no fucking mead. Nothing. I'd not had anything. And then I started brewing this beer, and it's like, let's do it. Um, so homebrewing knocked you off the wagon, basically, didn't it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> totally. Um, <laughs> yeah, we could definitely say that. Yeah. And, and then... Um, uh, basically, me getting into all grain is Tricky's fault. Uh, I joined a forum. I read his posts. I read posts from another fella whose name I can't remember. To be fair, I've probably been banned from... In fact, I have been banned from that forum. Yeah, you've definitely been banned from that forum. I'm banned Amongst from pretty others. much everywhere. And uh, <laughs> let's face it, Tricky, I'm banned from fucking everywhere. Pretty right much, now, really. pretty much, yeah. I am banned. Um, and I don't know why. I'm such a nice bloke. But the... Um, the <coughs> Yeah, you and your beard. And the um the, the the thing was basically just all grain is as simple as making a cup of tea, which it pretty much is. Uh especially if you make tea the Indian way. But the the kind of got into it, 
did the whole build your own brewery for 100 quid that's on Instructables, which is awesome. And then uh, moved from that quickly into some stainless kit and got myself set up with that. But I've been brewing and I've gone the full circle. I mean, Tricky was talking about all this kit and all of his fridges and everything. I've gone full circle. I went from kits to three vessel to dedicated, you know, SS Brutech mash tun, the whole full shebang. And I'm now back at brewing a bag because it's easier, it takes less time, and I've got two kids. And that's that's pretty much where we're at at the minute. Cool. So, uh, yeah, the point of this first episode, apart from just to introduce ourselves, as we've just done a little bit of there, is to talk about the things that we think are, or a thing that we think is most important for home brewing and um, doing it well, basically, I suppose. So, yeah, our kind of top tip for brewing and... Um, Something just to give a bit of perspective on our kind of, I guess, philosophy on brewing for this first episode and something to provoke a little bit of discussion between us uh, about what we think is important. And oh, The, the and discussion not. will be there, Tricky. You know that. I, I suppose we're going to have to talk to each other now that we've done it as a two-way <laughs> I don't thing even like, like you, man. Yeah. I don't even like you. Who the fuck is this guy, anyway? <laughs> you and your beard. <laughs> okay, so who's going to go first? Go on, you go first. All right, so uh, so my top tip for um, brewing well and um, getting a good result out of homebrew is to keep it simple. So it's the old kiss rule, keep it simple, stupid. And um, this is something which definitely applies when you're first starting out brewing. I think it's important to you know try and basically give yourself the best opportunity to uh, make something good because... For me, the important thing or one of the most important things with brewing is that you're actually getting something out at the end that you're going to want to drink because otherwise the uh, inclination to do it is going to disappear fairly quickly if you're producing drain cleaner constantly. Um, And keeping it simple is one of the best ways to actually get a good product out at the end. Now, I don't want to sort of say that you should never experiment or push the boat out or do weird and wonderful things because that is also one of the best parts of the hobby is being able to do that. But that being said, I think especially when you're starting out, but also when you're progressing through it a bit later on, taking it back to basics, keeping it simple. We're talking about recipe here, but we're also talking about process and method and techniques and stuff just going for the easiest path path of least resistance keeping it simple making it easy for you to see what you've done well what you've done wrong recording the results seeing what's happened batch to batch keeping it simple is really important so an example of that would be let's say when you're doing your first recipes maybe just go with a smash beer you know single malt single hop um something that's going to be straightforward and nice, easy, 4 or 5% pale ale where there's not a huge amount to go wrong. I think Chris wants to cut in here. I'm, go- I'm going to cut in on that point because um, the very, very first all-grain brew that I did was a California Common. And yeah, a lot of people are going to turn around and say, that's not that simple. It's two fucking grains and one hop. Right? And it was USO5. And it does not get any simpler than that. It is, I mean, well, it does. One grain. Yeah, one so it's, hop, it's one, one, use, but... one grain away from a smash anyway. So you're pretty <laughs> it, it was much as there. simple as fuck, and it was yeah. stunning. Yeah, I mean, you see a lot of this when people, especially on forums and the Facebook groups and stuff with people wanting to do their first all-grain batch, and they're just throwing everything in the kitchen sink at it. They want to do a fucking, I don't know, like mango milkshake IPA or something like this. And there's fruit additions going in. There's 20 hops. There's 15 grains plus adjuncts, lactose, fucking maltodextrin, all sorts of shit. And then they're wondering why it's not really gone that well at the end of it. And you're just thinking, well, look, just fucking, you know, learn how to walk before you can run, I guess, is the best way to sum it up. And for me... I, I, th- I think walk, learn how to crawl before you can yeah, walk is probably yeah, the best exactly. one there. I mean, you can spend, you know, a lot of time just getting to grips with getting your mash right, getting the temperatures where you need them, getting your volumes right, you know? So having something where you're not really having to worry about the actual recipes and weird and wonderful processes, 
uh, is going to make it easier for you to do that from the off, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, there's there's very, very little wrong in this world with a Marisotta base, Citra hops and USO5. You'll, you'll find that there's a lot of beers on the market, specifically one by Oakham. I don't know which yeast they use, but I'm fairly, fairly sure that that is no more than two grains and one hop. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, certainly from the, the taste of most of their beers, that it would be a fairly straightforward recipe. There's there's nothing wrong with a straightforward recipe. I mean, you and me both know that when you strip it all back, if you want to truly taste what you've put in, doing a smash beer is probably the easiest way to do it. Absolutely, and that's another well, especially when it comes to recipe creation, reason for keeping it simple is, especially at the start, is to learn about those ingredients and what they're doing. And if you are going to then start putting stuff in, you know, add one thing at a time or change one thing at a time. If you're doing your first few beers and you're throwing five different grains into them, how are you going to know which one is creating the flavour that you're tasting at the end or um, how that balance is going to change if you take stuff out or add other things in? Uh, and the same goes for hops as well. So if you throw three or four hops into a beer, you might get lucky and it comes out great. But if it doesn't, you're going to have no idea where the different flavours are coming from, and which ones are not combining well and which ones are. So Far too true. Far yeah. too fucking true. And I think that's probably where I said about, obviously, this is this definitely applies when you're first starting out. But when I said it will still apply to you when you're progressing with your brewing, I think that's um probably where that comes in really where you're looking at recipes and the temptation as you become a little bit more comfortable with the process is to um you know get into recipe creation doing your own beers and it's very easy to jump on you know beer smith or whatever software you're using and just start throwing stuff in off your inventory because you've got all these grains that need using up you've got 50 kilos of hops in the freezer <laughs> that you need to go through at some point and um, you put too much into it. And as we've said, invariably, when I look back at recipes that I've done that have come out really well, it doesn't tend to be anything that's going much beyond two or three grains at the most, and usually either one, two or three hops. Your Olicana Pale Ale, the one that you sent me the bottle of, to this day is still one of my favourite beers I've ever drunk. Yeah, and that would have probably been maybe it might be. Well, I don't even remember what was in that now. But it was either. I can of, tell you because you sent me the yeah. recipe if you want. Well, it was Marisotta. Yeah, go on. It was fermented with USO four, and it had Olicana, and I think you used a little bit of Magnum for bittering. Yeah, I was going to say that, it probably would have had a bittering hop in it, but then it just was Magnum, Olicana. but then it was Olicana. Yeah. That was a stunning beer. And to be fair, I've still got the recipe and I've still got the Olicana in this very freezer, which I fully <laughs> intend to copy that recipe one day because that was a stunner, that. Yeah, that's on the uh, the list of recipes to do. No, it's a bloody good one. Really, really nice. I don't know whether the brewing gods came together and just went, this is going to work, but... Probably, probably a fluke, probably a fluke. I, I don't know what you did, Trick, <laughs> but it was it was a cracker. It really was nice. It, it was one of those beers where you sent me the recipe and I went, no, nah, that's bullshit. He sent me a bullshit recipe. But the more I tasted it, so cause I had the pint in front of me at the time when I was talking to you on Messenger. Yeah. And I just went, what's the recipe? And you sent it to me and it's like, oh my God, it's literally that simple. And and that is ultimately where it comes down to. If if you keep things simple, if you if you go for the absolute, the essence the, the concentrated essence of what you're trying to do with your brewing and literally just use one grain, one hop, one yeast, one fermentation temperature, and then if you can put it in a keg, put it in a keg. If you have to bottle, pot, bottle. But for me, that is the basis of where you discover whether or not your craft is any good, which you've already mentioned. But it also tells me when I'm doing it personally, does that hop actually work? If it doesn't, then there's no point trying to mix it with another hop unless you know for sure it's going to work. But that, for me, was the thing about that recipe. It was so simple. It was so, pardon the term, basic. But, dear God, that beer was 
freaking fantastic. I'm trying not to swear as much as I normally do on this podcast, but that was a bloody good beer. Yeah, and I think that, again, coming back to sort of experimenting, once you've got that base, you can then experiment and actually find stuff out from it rather than just getting a complete hodgepodge of stuff where you've got no real idea of what the changes you've done have made to the beer. Uh, It's, you know, it's just basically knowing what you've got as a starting point and then being able to move on from that. And if you do want to go mad then and start throwing in wild hop combinations, you're going to be a bit better equipped to actually understand what you're doing and probably design the recipe better in the first place anyway. So you're more likely to get a good result out of it. But, even then, I still think, generally speaking, the best recipes tend to be the ones which are simpler than the ones that have got, you know, 10 different grains in them and a shitload of hops. Some beers, I'm sure, will come out good with a big, you know, combination of malts in them for certain styles. But um, more often than not, I think if you strip things back, keep it simple. Um, and it goes for the techniques as well, you know. Do you need to be doing crazy mashing techniques like decoction mashes and multi-step mashes and nobody needs to do decoction ever (laughs) ever you don't you just don't need to just don't do it chris has spoken decoction is out (laughs) yeah trust me i'm a chemist so go on then why why would you say it's not worth bothering with that because there's been multiple experiments done by multiple different people including myself I'm not like the guys over at Brewlosophy. I don't publish everything and everything, okay? I'm not going to tell you what colour the stain was on the toilet paper like they do. But what I am going to tell you is I have had the kit to be able to do decoction mashes. I have done decoction mashes. I have done side-by-side batches of the same grain from the same batch with the same hops from the same batch with the same yeast from the same batch. One done by decoction, one not done by decoction. And... Fair enough, I vape more than most people on earth, but I've had other people taste that beer and they cannot tell a difference. There is absolutely, for me, and somebody's going to come around and go, oh, well, I've done it and I've found... That's fine. If that's what you found, that's fine. But me and the people that I drink beer with, and Tricky's actually had one of these beers. He doesn't know it, but he has. Um, There is absolutely no difference for me, for my palate, and for the way that the actual brew day worked to go into the complexity of fannying about with a decoction mash, it for me, it just does not give anything to the beer that is not there from a standard mash. Nothing at all. Plus, it's a massive ball ache. So. It's a fucking gigantic <laughs> ball ache. And again, you know, that's the, that's the other side of it, is, uh, you know, why make the process any more stressful or um, <laughs> time-consuming than it needs to be? Because... Uh, absolutely i mean spending lots of time on a brew day can can be part of the enjoyment but the reality is a lot of a lot of us will struggle to find the time to do uh, dedicate that many hours just to brewing and especially if you've uh, got rug rats on your ankles all the time indeed yeah when they're trying to dive into the mash tun halfway through the brew <laughs> it can be problematic um, yeah that you're never going to get that infection yeah, out. yeah that's that's uh it's not going to age out that one yeah. Oh, that that remind just reminded me about the time that Thomas managed to vomit into the top of an airlock. That was uh, oh outstanding. Yeah, that was a special moment. Did you um, save that beer? I, I think um, I think I was just about to. It wasn't actually there wasn't actually anything in the FV at the time, but I was about to put that airlock into a into a <laughs> FV that did have beer in it when I noticed that there were chunks floating on the top of it and uh the yeah. last thing you want is carrots yeah. in your beer i don't know how the fuck he managed to do that he must have tried to um eat the airlock and then just puke down it or something i don't know you've um, got to stop putting 100 percent alcohol in your airlock yeah tricky. that could be it um anyway we went off on a bit of a tangent there what we're we talking about so that's what these podcasts are all about man that's tangents true. are fun um I, th- I think the bottom line that you're trying to say is while you're starting out probably your first three or four batches just keep it simple and don't don't try to overcomplicate things with you know trying to make a sour fuck sours um don't don't try to don't try to get anything too complicated into your first few beers just learn your process and and 
I will bring in one point on Tricky's keep it simple line, which is there is absolutely nothing wrong. There is nothing wrong at all with starting on a small scale. If you've got a seven litre stock pot and you can mash in it, you can boil in it, you can add your hops into it, you can cool it in the sink, you can make small batches, you can hone your skill incredibly well by producing four or five small batches of beers that, let's face it, if five litres gets a bit rank, you're not going to cry over £1.20 worth of grain and 50 pence worth of hops if you have to sling it down a drain. You're not going to worry about that. Whereas if you've gone whole hog and done, you know, 50 litres of, I don't know, some milkshake mango IPA fermented with the yeast off of the breasts of a Colombian virgin, then all of a sudden you're going to be getting pissed off. And if you get pissed off, you're going to lose your love for it very, very, very quickly. If you keep it simple, keep it small, then by that very nature of it being simple and small, you're going to end up with a rather a rather better journey along your learning curve. Because the learning curves, it's pretty straightforward, but there are certain intricacies which can be quite, well, intricate um, for the whole brewing thing. And once you get past those and you learn them and you can deal with them and you can you can move past them and just incorporate them into your practice, the whole thing becomes a hell of a lot easier. And there's nothing wrong with starting small. I still do small batches. Yeah, absolutely. I, well, I mean, there's nothing worse than doing a full-size batch and spending all that time, especially because most people will probably be bottling when they first start out as well. And if you yep. spend all that time bottling up a batch and then, the you know, crack that first bottle and it's absolute piss water uh it's not going to uh, encourage you to go straight back out and make another one but if you're doing a little gallon batch and it's eight bottles you can you know oh well if it goes wrong it goes wrong and um you can very quickly knock up another batch with very little expense the only bonus to that well the the additional bonus to that is it's only eight bottles you've got to wash as well yes that is true fuck bottling yeah, yeah. Bottling is uh, <laughs> is dead to me now. Yeah. But uh, I don't I don't bottle anything unless it's I, off the keg. I now. can't actually remember the last. No, I do remember the last beer that I put into a bottle, and that was a small batch because it was a fucking uh, rosemary IPA. So I was like, this definitely has the potential. So if you did more than a liter of that, yeah. you're a fool. <laughs> it wasn't actually bad, but um, it was a beer that I knew had the potential to be awful. So. I did do it in a smaller batch because I didn't want to, um, yeah, fill a whole keg with that if it turned out to be shit. But coming back to the uh, keeping it simple, I think it's, you know, there's a whole load of rabbit holes that you can go down when it comes to brewing kind of method and theory. But the bare bolts of it are fairly simple. So, you know, get to grips with those first. Save the rabbit holes for later. Not saying that you shouldn't venture into those at some point because that's all part of the fun later on once you know what you're doing to get into the more technical aspects of it or some of the um different methods that you can use but um yeah don't don't fall down those straight away because again you're just going to lose sight of the the goal here which is basically to make some beer that's nice to drink uh, which can be done easily and simply by keeping it simple. There we go. There, there is nothing wrong with the keep it simple theory as well of starting with extract brews or starting with kits because those will allow you to hone the most important parts of your process, which is cleanliness and sanitation. Um, there is nothing wrong with starting off with a kit. Don't, don't listen to all these people on Reddit and on forums and on Facebook groups who say you have to jump straight into all grain. Yeah, it's cheaper. You know, if you screw up a kit, it's 25 quid down a pan. If you screw up a small batch of grain that you're going to make a beer from, it's it's at most three quid down a pan. If you if you, if you you want to start with a kit, start with a kit. There's some great kits out there. There really is. Um, the Beers of the World by... Oh, God. I can't remember who makes them, but there's a Beers of the World set. There's a Vienna Red. There's a New Zealand Pilsner. There's a few others, and my father-in-law makes them on a regular basis, and they turn out 
just fine. That's the young. You know? Is it the Young's kits? I think. Maybe I, d- I don't think it's Young's. I can't remember. I bought one for him yeah. for Christmas. I should bloody well know who makes them. But <laughs> I'll be honest, I really don't. Festival, festival. festival that's right. who yeah, makes yeah, them. Yeah. But the Vienna Red is actually just bottled, and we're going over to their house tomorrow. And I'm hoping that the ten days that they've been in the bottle, he's actually going to pull one out and and share it with me because. I really want to try that Vienna Red because I've been I've been contemplating. What, I'm going down a, a a lag kick at the minute, and I'm really hoping that if that turns out all right, I can get a recipe for a Vienna Red and kind of hop it with Mittelfru and Saz. Um, that's kind of my my thinking on that one. But there's nothing wrong with starting with kits if you get your sanitation and your cleanliness down. Uh, if you can get the cold side, as everybody will call it, down. Then to be fair, the hot side, you man's been making beer for five and a half thousand years. Okay, if a if a, cl- a a luddite like me can make beer and make decent beer, then I'm pretty sure that m- most other people on this planet can make beer as well. And if it if it involves using a kit and then maybe an extract kit to do your first few, then go for it. But don't don't feel pressured into having to go down the 50 gallon SS Brutec conical, you know, pressurized fermentation, kegging with closed trans. Don't don't feel that you have to be pressured to go down that straight away. You know, feel feel free to do it your way. You know, like Frank said, I was singing this while Tricky was trying to sort his microphone out. <laughs> do it your way, okay? It's your journey. Go at your own pace. Keep it simple and just just do it your way. Because everybody's gonna try and tell you to do it one way. Just ignore those people. Choose what you want to do and go down your own route. But please, God, don't try and do a milkshake, lactose, melon, mango, IPA with Bretonomyces for your first brew because it's just going to end in tears. Yep, <laughs> that's for sure. The other thing I like about that approach of, you know, starting out with kits or, you know, extract brewing or whatever is that your main focus there is actually just looking after the yeast and the fermentation, which a lot of people kind of neglect a little bit when they're talking about what you know where the brewing um is going right or wrong because you know before you even think about recipes and you know all your processes during mashing and the boil and whatnot if you're not keeping that yeast happy and you know you're not able to like you say manage your sanitation and stuff and make sure that your cold side of the process is in order um it's going to be fucked whatever happens, you know. Yeah. Could you're, be you're, you're brewing best vinegar recipe is what you're doing. in the world. But if you don't ferment it properly, it's not going to, you know, work out for you. Or if you let no, something else get in there and take hold of it and get infected. I was down at, um, oh God, where was I? I was in Olympia in London, I think I was, at the Great British Beer Festival years and years and years ago. And my boss at the time, Dave, really good bloke. He turned around and he introduced me to a mate of his who was head brewer at a brewery, which was, uh, it was near, oh God, what is it? Not Ringwood, the one above Ringwood. The one that served all the beer at my local pub, Harvey's. He was a head brewer at Harvey's. And he turned around to me and he said one thing, and it stuck in my head because it was such a profound statement. And it is, brewers make wort, yeast make beer. And if you remember that, you keep those yeasties happy, they're going to make you some fantastic beer. If you give them a decent wort, they are going to make you a decent beer. It is literally that simple. You, once you've pitched that yeast, your involvement ends. As long as you've put a lid on it in an airlock, your involvement is done. There is nothing else for you to do. Brewers make wort, yeast make beer. Simple as that. you got a cat walking on your roof. No, that's the wind just trying to tear the fucking lid off of this place at the minute. So. <laughs> it's pissing it down yeah, here. I can hear the, you can't hear I it. can hear the rain in the background for you. And it's, it's mad. Uh, it's absolutely fucking it's blowing slashing a gale it down. here as well. I was on a fucking landfill site earlier today working in the, these gale force winds, so that was fun. But, um, yeah, anyway, we digress. Anyway, I think we've kind of nailed down the uh, keeping it simple angle. So what is your um unless you've got anything else that you want to add to that but if not what is your uh, top tip my top tip for doing your own home brewing at home is do not ever take it too serious it is just beer okay 
anybody can go down a bargain booze and buy a crate of something for a fiver. Okay? If you want beer that you want to drink done your way to your recipe, right? That's why you're going to homebrew. Unless you're one of these people who wants to make a 9% IPA to get hammered on three pints because you're a functional alcoholic. <laughs> and if you are, that's fine. Go for it. I think there's quite a few but, people who homebrew for that very reason. To be there fair. is a lot of people. The old um, kit brewers who ask, how many kilos of sugar do I need to add to get it up to uh, nuclear strength? <laughs> Not how many grams. How many yeah, kilograms? How many kilos? But it, it all comes down to, don't take it too seriously. Because chances are, out of your first five batches, you're going to utterly destroy one of them. Because you're going to get complacent and you're going to fuck something up. I did, and it was a fruit cider I was making for my wife. And it died a horrible, horrible, painful death. It ended up with a layer of purple growth that was furry on the top of it. And my mate at work said, oh, just scrape that to one side. It'll be fine. <laughs> and I went, no, and binned the job lot, threw the fermenter in the bin, and I moved on to something different. Just don't take it too seriously, because if you do, it's going to become a job. And if it becomes a job, having worked in the brewing world, okay, if it becomes a job, it stops being fun. And the moment it stops being fun, you're going to stop doing it. Don't take it too serious. Take your sanitation serious. Take the accuracy of weighing your things out serious. Take the accuracy of when you add things, sorry, precision of when you add things. Take that seriously. Take your cleanliness seriously, okay? You cannot sanitize dirt, but just don't take the beer too seriously. At least not until you're at the point where your, your, entire, your entire process is locked down. Until you get to the point where you can say, right, I'm going to make such and such a style and you know exactly where to go to get a recipe, where to go to get the grains, where to go to get everything. And your process is so nailed down that you can go, I've got 72% mash efficiency. I've got, I've got 86% mash efficiency. I've got 72% brew house efficiency. I'm at this point, if I add these hops and this and that and then the other and then I put this in, and then I transfer it to this. I know full well when I pitch out yeast, it's going to give me this beer. Until you're at that point, just don't take it too seriously because it's just fucking beer. And you can get Fosters for a fiver from Bargain Booze. And yes, it's Fosters. But the bottom line is it's still beer. And if your entire process is to get cheap beer, then buy an extract kit, throw it into a fermenter, don't spit in it. And at the end of a week, you're going to have beer. It's literally that simple. But... If you take it too serious, if you start if you start off by going down the 50-litre chronicle, pressurised fermentation, kegging under this, serving stouts under that, if you go down that route from the start, it's quickly going to stop being fun. The moment it stops being fun, stop. It's like all the Gamble Aware ads, okay? Just stop when the fun stops. And as long as you keep it fun... I mean, me and Tricky talk pretty much on a daily basis. And when we talk, we're always having a laugh about something or I've got some recipe in mind or Tricky's done something or somebody on some forum or some Facebook group somewhere has done something stupid and we're all having a laugh about it. And it all just comes down to, if you can keep the fun in it, if you if you don't take it too serious, then you're going to have fun doing it. Your beer's going to taste good and your process is probably going to be right. You know? Take the important thing serious, but don't take the final product too serious. Don't be criticising it against BJCP guidelines, all right? Don't be, you know, tasting it for off flavours and then throwing it away if there's a slight amount of diacetyl when you're making your first pilsner. Just don't take it too serious. I think I think that's probably a good way to look at it, don't you, Trick? Yeah, at the end of the day, it's a hobby, isn't it? So it's supposed to be fun and, um, you know... We're not, uh, I mean, some people will eventually want to take it quite seriously uh, and maybe uh, even end up going into a professional sort of state of affairs when they're brewing their beer. But if you're starting out and like you say, you're, you're going in there with these expectations that you're going to be knocking up absolutely 
picture perfect beer from the off. You kind of, I think it's kind of about managing expectations as well, isn't it? You need to yeah. be realistic. Um, you know, that said, you can produce fantastic homebrewed beer quite easily um, as long as you have a good method and uh, reasonable, you know, recipe and starting point and good ingredients. But it's not a big deal if it if it's a little bit, you know, has a slight off flavour. Like you say, this is all part of the, I mean, I wouldn't want to say that I enjoy making beer with off flavours in it, but the, uh, you know, the issues that you have and the little mishaps along the way and the slightly bigger mishaps and the total disasters and the, you know, sheds catching fire and what whatnot is just, uh, <laughs> these are things that happen and you should see it for what it is, which is it's just a, uh, it's a bit of fun at the end of the day and, you know, yeah, we want to make some good beer and that is fun too. But like you say, don't um, don't treat it like it's the be all and end all. And if your beer comes out a little bit sketchy, that it's a complete disaster and you have to fucking, you know, stamp your feet and have a have a hissy fit and throw the beer out the window. Some of those sketchy beers are some of the best beers you make, though. Well, you know, yeah, I, occasionally. I, I had one which I hopped purely with Jurillo. And I sent it to Tricky. I'd never heard of this hop before. I did a little bit of research on it, and apparently it was really good in golden ales. So I made a golden ale with this Jurillo, and I think I put far too much in. So I let it age for six months, and then I tasted it, and it was it was so good. There was 29 or 30 bottles left, and they went in, in like six days. Because it after it had aged for a little bit, it was fine. But I totally screwed up. I misread the alpha acid content on it. It was like, I think it was nine point something. I can't remember the actual numbers. But I put double the amount into bitter and then three times the amount in for the flavor edition and then twice as much for the five minute edition. And it all went completely tits up. And when I first tasted it, it was horrific. (laughs) A bit of a teeth stripper was that one. Oh, mate, there was no enamel left. (laughs) And then I sent a bottle to Tricky and he drank it and he went, it was it was good. It was a golden ale. It was fine. Yeah, and that was six months old, that bottle that you had, Tricky. Yeah. And that, that that's the thing. You're going to cock up. Accept it. Embrace it. Learn from it. Okay? And if you're making the smaller batches, like we've said, with the keep it simple, it's not going to matter if those eight bottles sit in the back of your shed or in the back of a cupboard for six months while you wait for them to calm the fuck down. It's not going to matter because you're going to have made 12 or 15 other batches in that time, which have all been perfect. And you've been able to crush them on the first day after they've carbonated and cleared. It, it's it's all about managing your expectations, like you said, not taking it too serious and understanding you are going to cock up. You are. It's as simple as that. You are going to cock up. But just, just don't expect to be, you know, Timothy Taylor from the outset because it's not going to happen. Don't expect to be founders on your second brew. You know, you are not Sierra Nevada the moment you pick up grain and yeast. Just accept the fact that you've got to learn. There's a process. There's fucking levels to this game is what we're trying to say. And I'm currently trying to desperately make my way up to step number one. And I know people who are on step 10 and these guys are fantastic. I'll, I'll, I'll name shout him right now. Simon Seaton, head brewer for one of my local breweries. The guy is a god when it comes to producing beer. He can just, off the top of his head, come up with a recipe, bang it into a kettle and a mash tun, and, you know, three weeks later, he's got fantastic beer. Me, I have to work at this. There are levels to this game. Yeah, I think it's important to learn to enjoy losing occasionally when it comes to brewing. There's a, um, there's always going to be, like we said, a few uh, disaster brews along the way. But you know, just own it, <laughs> share it, own that share shit. it with other people as well. I think some Palm it off. some of the funniest videos that I've done on my channel are the brews that have been a complete disaster, um, just because it's you know it is funny. It's funny when something comes out completely terrible after was it the uh salted goes oh no that wasn't a beer that i brewed that was a that no was a i know it wasn't but that was the funniest video that was, you've that ever was made. a funny video because of yeah exactly that there's a lot going on here 
I think, to this day, there's a lot going yeah, on here. I think there was a, what was it? Yeah, smoky, sour, salted. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't even want to want to remember that one. But um, yeah, some of the Brew Day videos that I've done where the the beer has ended up a bit of a shocker at the end. It's, uh, you know, it's good fun to just share that experience and learn from it and um, show people what not to do and teach yourself what not to do. Uh, that kind of comes back again to that, the the keeping it simple thing. Like I I think one that I did recently that was a absolute monster was the, um, what was it? I thought it would be a good idea to do a chocolate and cardamom Belgian porter. On paper, sounded great. I'd have brewed it. Yeah, it was. A, it wasn't. It really wasn't. <laughs> How much cardamom did you put in? Uh, I think there was two pods. It was a ten-liter batch. Ca- wow. Cardamom goes a long fucking way, is what I learned from that beer. Well, I make a lot of curry, and uh, my favorite is a chicken and apricot curry that I got out of a Rick Stein book. And when I first saw the recipe, and it said. Two green cardamom pods smashed with a rolling pin. I thought, nah, that's not enough. <laughs> yeah, I put eight in the first one. It was like chewing on a fucking pack of talcum powder. Yeah, it very quickly turns into a sort of, uh, yeah, bathroom product flavour of various Some of the selling lush. Yes, uh, yeah, very flowery sort of mouthwash kind of flavour I think you get from that. But yeah, you know, that went wrong. It was basically undrinkable but I managed to make a funny video out of it anyway. Yes, you and, did. And, um, you know, didn't didn't get upset or throw the toys out the pram and give up brewing because it was, it was just a fucking batch of beer and it wasn't a big deal. And I did actually learn from that not to put fucking cardamom in a beer ever again. Um, <laughs> well, I say that. I think there it, there is a beer in that theory somewhere that could be good, but I just, the execution on that one was not (laughs) where it needed to be at all. Just spitballing whilst we're live and all, but do you not think cardamom and coriander would work well in like a, in like a darker beer? Yeah. Or, uh, I mean, well, as soon as you mention coriander, that brings to mind sort of wit beers and stuff like that. So I think a very subtle, note of cardamom in a wit beer could be good or a, maybe or a dark one wheat pod. beer maybe as well oh, oh so if you had like a, yeah, if you had like a sort of chocolatey dunkelweizen with a hint of cardamom that could work yeah i'm putting that one on the list to brew <laughs> do you know something but don't that put two pods in it don't put two pods in it i was like two pods can't be that much that'd work well with a bit of like uh seville orange peel wouldn't it uh, well, if you wanted to go down that kind of chocolate orange go, kind of route, maybe, yeah. If you're going down the Whitbeer route, yep. 23 litres, one cardamom pod, three or four coriander seeds. Maybe half a cardamom pod. <laughs> okay, we'll split one open. Yeah. We'll take a couple of we'll couple, a couple of the rabbit shits yeah. out of it. Well, that's what I then... did. I, I split them open and just took the seeds out. I think, yeah. I think I crushed them as well, which may not have been the best idea either because that sort of maximized the flavor from it as well uh yeah it was it was Do you know something stinking. i reckon that could work but no like i said i think that i've you know I'm, I'm sure that it can be used well in a beer but you've just got to get the the dosing right because that was that was not it that was not i just happened to have one. a 10 liter cake sitting behind me yeah and i happen to have a free sunday tomorrow well there we go. This is this is not keeping it simple at all either, is it? We're we're completely. It's going, not going it's against not. We're, we're, our, to, we're totally going against our, our own, own spiel thing, but here. But I want, I need to make it up to that first step, man. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think keep it simple. Take the things serious that you need to take serious, but don't actually take the entire process too serious. And I think you can make great beer that you're going to enjoy. Yeah, and don't get too hung up on it if it's not quite what you expected. I think that's the other yeah, thing. R- like when you're talking about leveling up, like as a brewer, you kind of think that you're gonna, you know, you're gonna understand how to produce a very specific uh, type of beer or flavor of beer when you're throwing together your recipes at the start, and it doesn't work like that. You know, you you basically, no. I, I I mean, even now, like very 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 rarely does it come out 
close to exactly what I had in my mind when I was designing the recipe. Um, nah. That's a big part of the learning process is trying to work out how to get to that point. And um, the unknown of the process is, is part of the fun though, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. And that's, you know, that's the thing uh, again, sort of about not taking it too seriously. Don't, don't get like all hung up because your beer is not the exact thing that you had in mind. Cause that's pretty much going to be the same for most people when they're brewing. It's going to be, <laughs> uh, there's a bit of uh you know, there's a bit of luck involved in there and um, a bit of random chance and, uh, you yeah. know, obviously once you've got the recipe and then you can tweak it and you can then sort of engineer something that's closer to what you're expecting, uh, that's great. But yeah, don't don't get your, you know, knickers in a twist just because it doesn't have that exact flavour profile that you had in mind when you started out. Cause... No, there's, to go back to the keep it simple, don't feel that you have to stay with Maris Otter. Don't feel that you have to stay with Pilsner or Lagermol, Okay. There's a lot of grains out there that you can do incredible smash beers with that you can really, truly understand what that grain is all about. I did a Munich lager with pure Munich malt. And I only did 10 litres because it was a test batch. I hopped it with Mittelfrew and I fermented it with Imperial Harvest. It turned out to be one of the finest lagers I think I've ever had. It was so good, I never gave a single bottle to anybody but my mate Santi. Bastard. Santi had Where's some. my bottle? <laughs> yeah, you, when I rebrew it, Tricky, I'm rebrewing it 50 litres, mate. Yeah, I, I would be filling many kegs with I that. I should hope so. It was a stunner. And it was... There's also... To go back to the keep it simple and to not take it too serious. To combine the two together, if you are complexing making things complex and taking it all way too serious you will always try and be on the cutting edge of something most people will almost always go down being on the cutting edge of hops i've, I've fallen into that rabbit hole myself my cashmere in idaho seven pilsner did not turn out well but the point is most people will always go i want juicy flavored beer i want fruity beer i want this i want that or the vast majority of people will anyway if you go down the route of trying to go with these new hops, the Kashmir's, the Idaho 7's, the, you know, the, I can't even remember the names of some of the new ones, but all of those, invariably, you are going to fall into the pit. You're going to fall into the trap of over-hopping your beers or putting too strong a flavour in your beer that means you're not going to get a balance between your hops and your grain. If you go down the route of using some of the Nobles, your Hallatower Mittelfrews, your Herzbruckers, your Tetnangs, your Saz, uh, your Pearls, you really can't fuck those hops up. They're designed or they've been, you know, grown to work properly together. And if you just get your base right and then use those hops, you will produce some truly fantastic beers and just keep it simple. I did a... Um, I did a, oh, what was it? It was a Vienna Lager, and it was hopped purely with Saz. And again, it was a stunner. It was a beautiful, beautiful beer. Once you go down that route, you're keeping things simple, and you're truly understanding what it is that you're doing by experimentation, by producing beers, by, you know, knocking out a 10-litre batch of this and a 5-litre batch of that, and you understand what the grains give and what the hops give. You can read all you want, but... Our uh, Rewalker, Rewalker uh, experiment that Tricky sent me, he sent me a beer with, that was that had Rewalker in it, and it tasted shit. And I'll be honest, I put my hand up, Tricky, it was the worst fucking beer I've had in a very <laughs> long time. But it was just the hop. Everybody else loved it. I did a 23-litre batch with nothing but Rewalker based on the fact that Rewalker was the next big thing, air quotes. I ended up giving the entire batch to a lass at work who'd just come back from New Zealand and had been drinking a beer that tasted just like mine. I literally took, you know, the big 64-litre really useful boxes, took one of them in, full of bottles of beer, and went, drink this. And she went, what is it? I went, you'll find out when you open the first bottle. She did. She drank it. She went, it was beautiful. Nothing wrong with that beer at all. I got this horrible off flavour. <laughs> is all I can describe it as. It was just this off flavour. And it tasted shit to me. 
your taste buds are not my taste buds. They're not Tricky's taste buds. You need to do these small batches. You need to keep things simple. You need to experiment. You need to take the steps that you need to take in order to understand the grains and understand the hops. You can't do that by making a Lassie milkshake mango double IPA fermented under pressure in a chronicle with quite yeast as your first beer. You have to go through these steps in order to truly understand what you're doing. Keep it simple. Don't take it too serious. That's a really important point, isn't it? You've, you know, even if you're following a bulletproof recipe that somebody else has made and is, uh, you know, award-winning beer or whatever, at the end of the day, if it tastes shit to you, it tastes shit to you. It doesn't matter. So, you know, yep. you, you're tuning your brewing process to your own palate as well, you know, massively. It's not just about, you know, doing it to a specific set of guidelines or doing it to make a beer that lots of other people like. It's about making beer that you want to drink. And again, that's kind of really key, isn't it? Like this, the main purpose of this hobby is to make beer that you want to drink. It's not about yep. pleasing other people or following rigidly all the guidelines and theories and techniques that you read in books or whatever. It's about doing what works for you. So, uh, I mean, that's a, a good, good uh, thing to keep in mind. It is definitely because... My taste buds are not your taste buds. They're not Tricky's taste buds. They're not anybody's taste buds. No. They're yours. And the food that you've had, whether you had a mint, whether you're a smoker, whether you're a vapor, all of these things are going to affect your interpretation of that beer. And the only real way that you're going to discover what you like is to play around with the recipe and play around with the ingredients until you get to the point where you're comfortable with what you're making, and it suits your palate. And I've made beers that I've given to other people, and they've gone, oh, that's dog shit. And I've gone, fucking hell, I love it. And they've given me beers that they've gone, this is amazing. And I've gone, dude, that's drain cleaner. It it just comes down to your individual yeah. palate. There's going to be overlap, you know, some beers that you like and other people like them too. Some beers, like you say, uh, I mean, hops is a big one. Like the Ruaka is a good example because you just like, hated that straight away from the start and uh i had half a kilo yeah. of that shit as well and true. then you bought a load of it yourself and uh yeah i had fucking half a kilo of that, that was that was unfortunate but yeah people just perceive different flavors uh in very different ways and that's why some people think citra just tastes and smells like cat piss and they can't get away <laughs> no, from that's that simcoe that's simcoe oh well you know but yeah two two similar um similar hops there where certain people will perceive them with that very catty yeah. aroma and taste to them. Um, I think sit, you get that from Simcoe, don't you? The uh, I don't even brew. Yeah, you don't, you don't like like that one either. But um, yeah, you know these these things uh, will be different to different people. I had an interesting one at at BrewCon actually because I took some of my um, APA that's got mosaic in it. I think I did. I send you a bottle of that recently. Then yeah, yeah. you did. Yeah, uh, and there was a guy there and he tried it and. Straight away, he said to me, has that got a lot of mosaic in it? And I said, yeah, yeah. Why do you like it sort of thing? And he said, well, yeah, no, the beer tastes nice, but all I get from mosaic is spring onion. <laughs> so I was like, ah, so you, you don't like it then because you can't like a beer that tastes spring onion. But that's just the way that his palate perceives yeah. that, you know. And and weirdly, when I was like trying it after, I was like, I can actually see why some people would get onion flavor from that because there are some like to me very subtle background notes that are a little bit maybe um you know that slight allium kind of flavor in there but i you know i still mainly get the you know obviously the fruitiness the like mango and tropical fruit thing from it uh but for him it was spring onion and you're not going to want to make a beer that like tastes of spring onion so i imagine he doesn't brew with mosaic very much and fair enough Weirdly enough, whenever I taste mosaic, all I get is pineapple. Right. I get nothing else. I don't get any floral. I don't get any resinous. I don't get any pine. I just get pineapple. And it works really well for me with Amarillo. Yeah. Mosaic and Amarillo. It's it's a wonderful pairing, but I've given a bottle of that to my dad. My dad's a heavy smoker. And my dad turned around and went, no, I don't like this. It just tastes like chewing gum. <laughs> and 
there's no accounting for other people's palates. Yep. Can't be helped. Yeah, I I could give you a recipe which I think is absolutely stunning. You could make it. You'll you'll you know, on my recommendation, you'll brew a nineteen litre batch or whatever. And at the end of it you're gonna go, nah, I'm sorry, Chris, it tastes like sweaty socks and cheddar cheese. And that's your palate. And that's the way it is. You know, I rave on about uh, Wakatu and Rakau hops. I put Wakatu and Rakau in golden ales probably four times a year. I love it. Everybody else I've ever given a bottle of that beer to says, I can't actually taste anything. I get nothing from this. And, you know, all I get is this wonderful overtone of just fruit. And it, it's stunning to me. And everybody else is just like, I get literally nothing. I can't taste a damn thing. And this is weird considering I vape more than anyone else on earth. Yeah. You're, you know, obviously people are just sensitive to certain flavor receptors more than others. I mean, I absolutely, I, I really like Wakatu hops as well. So I'm definitely in that, uh, on that side. Um, but it is quite subtle and I can, you know, I can see why some people would just miss completely you know, the flavours that you get from that hop. But, you know, it is what it is. If you don't like it, brew with something else. So that's the whole point, Absolutely. I guess, isn't it, really? I forget how many different varieties there are at last count, but I'm I'm probably close to 80 varieties in my freezer. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to work through. I mean, to be fair, it, it, I wonder how long it would take if you were actually going to try and do smash beers with all the hops before you started doing anything else. That would probably be, uh, a year yeah, at, at least. And you'd have to be brewing every day, every day. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much, you know, especially if you were going to mix, cause I've got, um, I've got Citra and Amarillo and depending on what base malt I mix the Citra and Amarillo with, they taste completely yeah. different. I get nothing but like melon and peach from that combination with, uh, Munich 10L, but if I mix it with Vienna, which is essentially the same grain, weirdly enough, uh, I get nothing but pineapple and I get peach. It, it completely skews the way that the actual hop tastes, depending on what base malt you put it with. Yeah. For me, anyway. I don't know about everyone else, but that's just the way that my god Oh, no, works. definitely. Definitely. Uh... It's all it's all a different... It's, it's, it's a wonderful world. It's like cooking. You know, I, I mean, essentially, brewing is cooking. Um, but the, the the best way to start, the best way to, to brew a good beer at home is to not take it too serious and literally is to just keep it simple. Yeah, well, I think we can all agree on that one, or at least we can I anyway. Think, I think we've ticked the box. Lots here. of other people might not agree at all. They might think we're talking complete nonsense, but... Absolutely. But that's fine. Absolutely. That's fine as well. <laughs> Good for them. Yeah. You know, it, it's their boat. They're going to paddle yeah. it. I, I, just before we go, I want to do one more thing. Uh, I want to know what your favourite style of beer is, Tricky. My favourite style of beer? Hmm. Uh... I think that well, it's somewhere between golden ale and American pale ale because that's what I would brew the most of and what I would drink the most of. So, which one just depends on how 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 much I'm in the mood for lots of hops or not so many hops. But yeah, a hoppy pale pale ale of some description is basically my kind of go to style. Does yours change depending upon the time of year it is as well? To an extent, yeah. I'm not like one of these people who automatically switches into drinking kind of dark beers exclusively as soon as it, it drops below, you know, 15 degrees outside or anything like that, <laughs> uh, which some people seem to do. But, I, you know, I will tend to maybe drink a few more porters or brew, brew a few more porters and stouts and things like that uh, in the winter months. But I think I probably still drink more, you know, pale ale and uh, golden ales than anything else even through the winter. So, um, yeah. You see, this is this is kind of where I've. In order to get a little bit of feedback from the people who actually listen to this podcast, I want you to comment wherever it is that you've downloaded this podcast, or wherever it is you've listened to it, or even just go onto the BrewTube channel on Facebook and just stick a comment up on there because we'll we'll be uploading it to BrewTube. We'll we'll put it up there for people to view. When you when you've oh, sorry, listen to. <laughs> we're not recording the video, are we? No, Jim? we're not. 
We tried that before. Um, it was a disaster. So we were still. Yeah, well, that was because I was on fucking 2K internet. Um, yeah, you looked like a Lego but, man because the bitrate was so low in that. So we, we I, abandoned that pretty quick. I still look like a Lego man. I'm quite square. <laughs> but um, the the way that I, I just want people to post on there, what is your favourite style and why? Because I've thought about this literally for weeks. All right, I, I get a worm inside my head and it just runs round and round and round and round and round. And I think my favourite style, regardless of the time of year, regardless of the temperature, is now and probably forever will be a Hefeweizen. Oh, interesting. I don't know what it is. I think it's the culmination of the grain and the hops and the yeast and the fact that you can taste all three. I think that for me is what makes a Hefeweizen such a fantastic beer. I can sit and drink five or six pints of an evening while I'm watching a film. I can also smash five or six pints while I'm having a barbecue. I can sit down here in my shed with YouTube videos playing and smash two or three pints of it. And I never seem to get bored. I never seem to get bored when I'm drinking a Hefeweizen. And I think I'm pretty much unique in that one, in, in, in amongst the people that I've spoken to. I do appreciate a good Hefeweizen. It's a good all-rounder, isn't it? It can. It is. Uh, it can be sessioned on for, like you say, in in many different circumstances. It's a good one to brew as well. Like you know, as it far is. as the uh, sort of the the keeping it simple mantra, you can do it. I mean, obviously, you, you will need more than one grain in a Hefeweizen because you don't want to be trying to do a hundred percent wheat malt beer. Do not do that <laughs> smash. That's a bad idea. <laughs> not unless you like glue. <laughs> yeah. Um, but other than that, you know, very, very simple hopping, maybe even just a single bittering addition. And then it's all about the yeast, isn't it? So Citra's a really good bittering addition for a Hefeweizen, yeah. weirdly enough. And the other great thing about Hefeweizens is the turnaround time, because that shit oh, is drinking straight out of the fermenter usually. Well, once it's carved up anyway. But yeah. Uh, if you've got a firm Zilla like I have, uh, it's four days. And it is literally out of the fermenter. It's four days and you're drinking it. Yeah. It's stunning. And that's without Quike. That's literally, that's Imperial Stefan is the, uh, is the wheat yeast that I use almost exclusively. I've used a bit of Munich, the Munich wheat yeast. Uh, is it Munich? There is a Munich one. Yeah. Is that the it, Laumond? Is that by Lalamand? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but almost exclusively I use Stefan and it pressure ferments out in four days if you ferment it at 22 PSI, by the time you're finished, it's at 2.1 vols of CO2. It's a cracker. It's a, it's an it's an absolute stunner if you've got a Firmzilla. But don't buy a Firmzilla to start off with. Just <laughs> yeah, don't keep do it that. simple. Because <laughs> you because you'll make a fucking bomb and you'll lose yeah, your fridge. It'll explode. <laughs> yes, it will. Guaranteed. Or, you, to or you'll pull pour boiling water into it and you'll melt it or something like that. Yeah, don't do that. Don't, I've seen don't do I've seen that. people do that. That's that's not good for it. Did you see the guy, uh, there was a, was there a YouTube video? Or was it on Reddit? I can't remember. It was one of the two. Uh, a guy was, he was chilling his beer and he used the water from the output from his uh, copper chiller yeah. to basically rinse out the inside of his uh, Firmzilla. Right. And it just crinkled. Oh, no. It was the funniest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it's like, dude, that is 70 quid and down the pan. And he's just crying straight away. Yeah. 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 But it, it you was... only make that mistake once, though, don't you? Jesus. Yeah, you very much do. Yeah. You, you learn from that one quickly. But yeah, I mean, you can make great beer at home. You can make great, simple beer at home. You don't have to take it serious. You can do it in your kitchen. Just get yourself a decent-sized stock pot and start off on five-litre batches and just keep it simple. Keep it simple. That's the one. Keep it simple, folks. Anyway, if you've made it this far into the podcast... We, well we salute you. Well done. <laughs> so I think we're just Don't. just going over the hour mark now. So it's it's crazy how easy it is to just chat about brewing for quite a long time without really noticing it going by. But hopefully but you've enjoyed it. There's a lot it. of stuff to cover. There is. There there's is a lot. There is a lot to and cover. And it feels like we've barely scratched the surface there either. So we haven't. We're still taking uh, the plastic film off yeah, the outside, mate. There's definitely a lot more to cover. So. Yeah, let us know what you think. Uh, chuck some comments in. If you think that it was good, tell us. If you think it was shit, tell us as well. Tell us. Tell us how to improve it. 
Um, tell us what we're, you'd we're like both us very to talk thick about. Skinned. Yeah, we're not gonna we're, we're not gonna cry about. We're very it. thick skinned. We're, we're not gonna start crying into our beer over the fact that you think this podcast is shit. Okay, there's enough shit podcasts out there. Whether we've joined their ranks or whether we've joined the ranks of decent ones is up to you. We can. I mean, me and Tricky could sit here and talk bollocks all night, but you guys are the ones who are going to be listening to it, and hopefully, you're going to like it. You're going to give us a few suggestions as to what to talk about. And if you do that, we'll talk about it because we're guided by you. You're the people who are listening to it, okay? You know, it, what sells, we're going to buy more of, okay? I've watched The Apprentice enough times to know that. <laughs> it, it's all it's all about, you know, it, there's levels to this game as well. And we are currently just trying to open the door. So let us know what you think. We'll read all the comments. We'll probably reply to a lot of the comments as well. And uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna be doing this. Maybe not super regular, but we will try and put out a fair few. Cool. Well, that's it then. Cheers, guys, and uh, we will hopefully see you on the next one soon. Bye bye. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Hop Edition. We're out. <laughs>